if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All right, good morning to you. Thank you so much for being here on AM 1420, The Answer. We begin at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 10th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Some are calling this Real Woman's Day, by the way, and I credit Riley Gaines for bringing that to our attention. It's not our lead story, obviously, as uh, the carnage continues in Israel and in Gaza, and I have a ton of information to share with you and to analyze with you on that. But did you know that today was Real Woman's Day? It's not something that's going to be on a calendar. It should be, though, because today is 1010 23. 1010, when written out as Roman numerals, is XX. In other words, the only women who are real women, those with XX chromosomes. Riley Gaines was going to give a speech today about this at Penn State University. But typical, true to form, most radical leftist universities in America are radical leftist universities. Uh, There are very few that aren't. Uh, and Penn State canceled her appearance because of her presentation of essentially what they view to be as hate speech, acknowledging that only XX women are actually real women. So uh, we're going to call this uh, Women's Day, Real Women's Day, as we get started here on AM 1420, The Answer. So uh, coming up on the program in less than a half an hour, we're going to go in-depth on Israel with Ryan Morrow. Ryan uh, is... Um, a phenomenally knowledgeable individual on matters of uh, radical Islamic terrorism, such as Hamas, and on Israel itself. 
Uh, Ryan has made countless numbers of trips to Israel, uh, as well as to Saudi Arabia on fact-finding missions and explorations. He's done documentaries. It's, uh, he's, uh, he's, a uh, one of the, one of the best in the business. We used to have Ryan on on a weekly basis. Uh, got a little bit too tough for his schedule, but we bring him on when matters like this come up. Or not like this. We haven't seen anything like this, to be precise, since, um, well, since the Holocaust. It was said by many yesterday that the attack on Saturday um, was the worst attack on Jews um, since the Holocaust. Uh, over a 1,000 Israelis dead. Now, we do know that Israel is home to more than just Jews. There are Jews, there are Christians, there are Arabs, there are some Muslims who live in Israel as well, but we all know that this was not an attack on anybody but Jews. And so uh, Ryan is going to be joining us from the Clarion Project. That'll be at uh, 9.35 this morning at 10.10. Peter Kersenow will be with us, which, of course, I'm looking forward to getting his analysis as well. And 11.10 today, uh, Attorney, General J- Attorney General Dave Yost will join us to talk about a host of things here inside the state of Ohio. Early voting begins to, uh, today. Early voting begins today. Uh, I'm sorry, tomorrow. I, I messed this up yesterday, too. I'm sorry, it begins Wednesday, tomorrow. Today's the last day to register, but early voting begins tomorrow. And we're going to talk about issues one and two and a few other things with the Attorney General coming up at 1110 this morning. So Ryan Morrow, Peter Kersenow, and Dave Yost. Before we get into the news of the morning with respect to Israel and uh, what is going on with uh, the uh, horrific attack and the taking of prisoners, hostages, over 150 of them at last count, uh, let's do our Pledge of Allegiance, maybe as important or more important today than at any other time, because we are now literally facing uh, some prospects of, of war, whether it be direct or indirect by proxy in support of our allies in Israel. So patriots, go ahead and stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and with sincerity, please join us in this pledge. If you are any one of the human beings inside an America, and I use the term human being loosely here, inside America that has been celebrating, praising the quote-unquote attack on the occupiers, the occupation, ending the Israeli apartheid state, celebrating the Palestinian murder, torture, rape, and abduction of thousands of Jews If you are in any way supportive of that, if you have issued any statements or posted anything on social media showing support for the Palestinian animals that are responsible for this, then you do not respect that flag, nor liberty or freedom anywhere in the United States or around the world. Don't fake it. Instead of standing proudly, take a knee like the cowardly dog that you are while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. There is, um, there is an extraordinary number of people in this country that are not grieving with the majority for the victims of this horrific, unprovoked, indefensible attack on humanity, but more specifically on Jewry. 
Um, I'm going to get to Harvard. I'm going to get to some of the other groups. I'm going to get to some of the celebrities. I'm going to get to some of the other individuals who are literally glad that the animalistic attack and murder and torture of innocent men, women, and children in Israel, these people who have celebrated, who 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 have suggested it was long overdue, it was inevitable because of the occupation of the Holy Land of the Palestinians by the Israelis, all of the different things. It's a shocking number of people who actually believe this and who actually have stated as much in the last 48 hours. And we're going to talk about them. But first, we're going to talk about the response to this from the leadership of the United States of America, from the President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, hours after the White House called a pre-noon lid for yesterday, Monday, two days, the first weekday slash workday since the attack on Saturday, after a, a grueling Sunday of sleeping, 81-year-old and infirm president, Joe Biden, called a lid before the noon hour. Not even putting a full day's work in. A half day, less than a half day of work on Monday, with American citizens having been captured. At least 11 of them killed. Biden confirmed. 11 minimum dead. Many others, we don't know exactly how many among the 150 and counting individuals who are uh, who have been abducted and, and, and are being held hostage and threatened with execution before the entire world, publicized on the Internet, publicly broadcast uh, executions of these individuals. We don't know how many of them are Americans, but what we do know is that yesterday, Joe Biden worked less than a half day and then threw a party. Wait, what? Let me say it again. Then threw a party. Had a barbecue at the White House. While countless Americans are being, we don't know the number, were being held and are being held hostage in Gaza. Attacks on civilians. Ongoing in Israel, even as Israel fights back and strikes targets in Gaza, Biden had a barbecue, complete with a live band. Hey, let's get our party on at the White House. In the late afternoon and early evening, a live band could be heard blaring away from the area around the Rose Garden. Why were they hosting a barbecue for White House executive resident staff and their families while Americans are being held, possibly tortured, possibly being raped, being killed, being threatened with execution? Now, I don't want to do the whataboutism here today about this, but I'll say it just very quickly. Can you imagine this happening on Donald Trump's watch? First of all, it wouldn't. Second of all, it didn't. And third of all, can you imagine if it had? And on the day, the first work and weekday since the attack on the Saturday, Trump held a barbecue with live music and celebratory uh, tones coming from the, from the, the Rose Garden 
at the White House. Think about that for just a moment. How would that have been reported? How would that have gone over? Meanwhile, while everyone is demanding and wondering what the American response must be, what the Israeli response must be, Joe Biden, after calling the lid on his day, before noon, his Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, is out there promoting a ceasefire, saying that he spoke further on Hamas's terrorist attacks on Israel, spoke with Turkey, and issued a joint advocacy for a ceasefire and the release of all hostages held by Hamas immediately. The release, of course, is should be called for, but a ceasefire? Hold on, Israel, you're under attack, the worst attack since you know the since the Holocaust, since at least obviously since the uh uh the the uh affirmation of the Israeli state in nineteen forty eight. I won't say the creation of because it's been for three thousand years it's been Israel, but for the affirmation, the international uh you know confirmation of the Israeli state in nineteen forty eight, this is still going on. And they're calling for a ceasefire. Don't fire back because this might harm innocent women and children in Gaza. It's two million people packed into that 25 square mile strip. And we don't want to hurt them. Well, no, we don't want to hurt them. Nobody wants to hurt them. But I'm going to tell you something. I stopped caring about what happened to them when I realized, and we've known for a long time, that the mass murderers torturers and rapists in the Hamas party were hiding behind them and living among them so that they couldn't be fired back at. That's about the time I stopped caring. Now, in in true Christian fashion and Judeo-Christian fashion, I don't really mean that I don't care about them, but what I am saying is, is that we cannot and must not stop or tell Israel to stop defending itself because of the potential for collateral damage in Gaza. I can't tell you how little I care when I about again I'm kind of contradicting myself. I do care about how little I'm going to um concern myself with with their with their care when Israel is still undergoing this attack. And the White House by way of the the uh Secretary of State, who's responsible for diplomacy and American policy with these foreign countries, is calling for a ceasefire. Oh, don't fire back. Don't fire back. That's going to harm some innocent people in Gaza. Well, what about all the innocents that were lost and continue to suffer in Israel? And how many more will suffer if, if proper response is not given? I'm reading and listening to people lamenting the inhumanity of Israeli's defense minister saying, we are going to destroy all of Gaza, we are going to destroy all of Hamas that is in Gaza, and we are going to shut the place down. No food, no electricity, no fuel, no water coming from Israel. It is all going to end. And I'm seeing the the response of Americans. Oh, how dare you deny two million people food, water, and hospitals, and fuel, and electricity? I mean, you're, you're, you're the ones being animals now. No. 
No, they're not. They're fighting for their lives. I'm not going to compare the loss of life or the potential loss of life to the decision to drop the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But we knew there were going to be innocent people killed there, but something had to be done to stop a greater loss of life. It would have been worse. Millions would have died had that war been allowed to continue and invasions allowed to happen. And if they do not do what needs to be done to end Hamas in Gaza right now, knowing there will be a loss of life that is not responsible for it, but just like the Israeli children and women were not responsible for what happened to them, if, if this is not done, it will lead to a much greater loss of life. So I don't want to say I don't care, but I understand what needs to be done, and I completely support it being done. And I am just just beyond livid that the White House is partying last night while all of this is happening. Meanwhile, 31 different Harvard student organizations wrote a letter blaming Israel for the Hamas attack on Israelis. Meanwhile, Palestinian groups throughout this country celebrated and paraded the murder, the rape, the torture, and the abduction of men, women, and children simply for being Jews in Israel. Meanwhile, we have not just the the likes of Rashida Sharia Tlaib and Ilhan Jihad Omar at the United States congressional level supporting the Palestinians and condemning the Israelis. We have one here in the state of Ohio. I didn't know this until yesterday. I did not know about this representative. But you should know about her. Representative Munira Yassin Abdullahi, if I'm saying it correctly, and if I'm not, I don't give a rip. But she is a state representative, District 9. She is, according to her Twitter bio, the first Muslim woman and youngest serving Democrat member of the 135th General Assembly. And she issued a statement yesterday in support of the Palestinians who tortured, murdered, raped, and abducted men, women, and children from Israel. In those words, quote, my heart hurts for all the innocent lives lost and the violence and the occupation. In other words, she's blaming Israel, calling them the occupiers of Palestinian holy land. Then she issued a full-on, complete statement, headlined, standing in solidarity with Palestinians not with Israeli victims of Palestinian violence, not standing with men, women, and children who were, who were murdered, raped, tortured, and abducted from Israel by the Palestinian terror group Hamas, not one word in a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight paragraph long statement of condemnation of Hamas. Not a word. That's an Ohio State representative. Let me tell you what, what needs to be said here about any response made by the Israelis in Gaza, including the cutting off of food, fuel, supplies, water, hospitals, anything that they do. If any Palestinian 
man, woman, or child who is not a part of Hamas suffers and dies. That will be a tragedy, but the blood of those individuals will not be on Israeli hands. The blood of those individuals will be on Hamas hands. The blood of those individuals will be on Iranian hands. And by extension, the blood of those individuals will be on Biden hands and Obama hands because they are the ones who collectively gave $7.7 billion to the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism, Iran which has backed and funded all of this by Hamas. This will not be on on Israeli hands. This will be on the hands of those who allowed and supported this happening. Do not misunderstand this. Every Israeli who is suffering and dying at the hands of Hamas, the blame goes to Hamas. Every Palestinian or Arab who suffers and dies, the blame also goes to Hamas. They are the reason for this. They are the ones who attacked Israel and then continue to hide among a population of citizens in Gaza, daring somebody to fire back at them, knowing that when they hide behind their human shields, the world will then condemn Israel for the death of the Palestinians. We are on to their game. We know what they're doing. We will not accede. We will not be dissuaded in defending our allies and friends in Israel. All right, we're just scratching the surface. So much to say and do. And now to listen. We're going to listen to Ryan Morrow. He'll join us next on AM. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, it's 9.36. Good morning. Uh, Thanks for being with us. A lot of information we tried to cram into the opening monologue. Now we want to listen rather than talk, because I can always learn a lot more from Ryan Morrow than I can teach him. Ryan Morrow is the former director of the Clarion Intelligence Network, a group that tracks extremist activity throughout the world. He regularly and uh, regularly provides information to law enforcement, policymakers. He's worked at CIN uh, uh, as an ongoing intelligence gathering professional, focusing on Islamic extremists. Uh, He was an adjunct professor teaching Homeland Security and counterterrorism. He's instructed hundreds of members of law enforcement, as I said, uh, the intelligence community and the military, now directing the Afghan Liberty Project, and uh, he is an international affairs and security media analyst. That's a big business card that Ryan Morrow must carry around. That's a lot of stuff. Uh, Ryan, welcome back to the program here in Cleveland. It's good to talk to you again, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, last time we spoke, you were still with Clary, and so you have obviously branched out and done a lot of other very important things, but you are still one of the most knowledgeable people that I am aware of uh, in uh, in media or in uh, in analysis when it comes to the Middle East. So let's dive right into this, um, Ryan. There, There's a lot of grist for the mill here. Um, those who are supporting... Um, the Palestinian attack, and sadly there is a way larger number than there should be here in the United States on Israel, are blaming what they are calling the Israeli apartheid system and the occupation of Palestinian holy land. They're saying that this was long overdue and it's the, it's the uh, best way to destroy the Israeli state. Uh, and there is celebration in a lot of these circles. What can you tell us about their argument about occupation and apartheid, the apartheid system that keeps the uh, the Palestinians in the region under subjugation. Oh, it, it, it's complete garbage, and it's the same garbage that we've been hearing for a long time. 
Um, anyone who has traveled to Israel, or at least almost anyone who has traveled there without an agenda, can tell you about the freedom and, and the relative peace that you see in Jerusalem, for example, where you walk the streets and you can see Jews and Christians even from uh, around the world and Muslims, uh, the Arab population, all getting along fine. Uh, there's something uh, like, I don't know if I should take the guess at it, about 2 million um, Arabs that live in Israel, um, and th- they enjoy the same rights as anyone else, um, as long as you become a citizen. Uh, so there's Arabs that are part of multiple branches of government, including uh, judges. Uh, so it, it really is just a, a bunch of garbage. And I did see that the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement uh, it put out a statement basically siding with Hamas, um, and so did the Democratic Socialists of America. So it is really disheartening, though not surprising, to see the far-left ally with Hamas. Well, you know, uh, Ryan, not only did those organizations back Hamas, we have uh, um, members of Congress who are refusing to condemn Hamas, but will condemn Israel. Uh, we have, uh, there There were celebrations in New York City. You probably saw parades with uh, Palestinian groups, similar to, to those who did so after 9-11, celebrating this great victory over Israel as they are seeing the, uh, the, the, the slaughter on Saturday. And it happened here in Cleveland as well. Um, uh, Seth Williams, who is our producer running our show here, literally saw a giant parade of individuals all looking like they were ready to fight. In other words, military-aged males all wearing essentially the garb of Palestinian soldiers celebrating and waving Palestinian flags in downtown Cleveland yesterday. Um, so the number of people here, I mean, you know, we might be as a nation, and in fact we are, uh, strong allies for Israel and supportive of Israel, but that does not speak to the general population because there is a significant number of people here that support this and oppose the American, uh, backing of, his, uh, of, of Israel's existence. That's shocking to hear, uh, that you had that in Cleveland, but it, It's also not that surprising because there has been a long-time Hamas infrastructure within the United States. There are a lot of Hamas sympathizers uh, within America. And frankly, it's surprising that we didn't see more uh, more of this. Um, I'm surprised that we didn't see attacks on synagogues, attacks on Israeli or Jewish targets. Of course, that could still happen. Uh, maybe some of those are happening in other that. parts of the world, from what I understand. Some yeah. of those things are happening. Uh, Jews are, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like the anti-Semitic, you know, the worst anti-Semitic nature of certain individuals globally saw this attack on Israel, the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust and said, it's go time. And so they started targeting in their particular, you know, regions of the world as well. Right. And so there are, there is like a deafening silence, and then in some cases, a suggestion of actual support for this attack. But as far as I'm concerned, this is such a clarifying moment. Um, if you're looking at someone and you're wondering like where they stand morally, uh, this is so such a black and white issue that if you can't bring yourself to condemn Hamas after this, then you're certainly it, it can't be pro-American. You can't be pro-freedom in the world. Um, you're essentially, well, you are, allying with the enemies of the United States. And I would add also that I'm a bit shocked at the Biden administration, because even though they did have a strong statement of support for Israel, 
We're getting these reports that there's missing Americans, and it's past time now for Biden to say something like, hey, Hamas, if you have an American hostage, you better release them now, or what we are going to militarily retaliate. It's not just Israel you're going to have to worry about. We're talking to uh, Ryan Morrow. He's a national security analyst, among other things. So uh, a lot of people are trying to figure out exactly what the Iranian responsibility is here. Uh, we do know that Iran is the largest uh, state sponsor of terror in the world. We do know that they have funded Hamas in the past. And many people are pointing the finger. I am one of them at the $1.7 billion that Obama flew them in the dead of night on uh, cargo planes, pallets full of cash. Uh, and now the $6 billion that was released uh, from being frozen in Qatar to the uh, advantage of the Iranians, and we don't know how much money was moved in order to make this happen. I mean, I I know that Hamas has been financed well enough to have thousands of rockets, but thousands at one time to be deployed on one day, not to mention the rest of the munitions that they needed to carry out this unholy assault. Ryan, how much blame is uh, uh, it should be laid at the feet of the Iranians and, by extension, then, of those who funded the Iranians? Oh, 100%. Um, uh, not 90%. I mean, actually, 100%. Uh, because there is no way Hamas would engage in this type of attack without at least checking with their Iranian sponsors, because they provide them with everything, and they need them with financing and everything else. And they wouldn't want to jeopardize that. So... Uh, and there's also other terrorist groups besides Hamas. There's about a dozen terrorist groups that took part in the attack, and those also have ties to Iran. So how was that coordinated? I, I mean, most likely it had to be coordinated through some some party, some like the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps. Um, so I would assume that Iran, or I'm confidently assuming that Iran knew in advance, but just say that they didn't. What we can't fall for is their proxy warfare. Iran funds these proxies because they're willing to sacrifice them, because they don't want to sacrifice themselves. And so if we want to have a coherent strategy, we have to have something that takes into account needing to punish Iran and saying that we're not going to fall into these traps by just fighting your proxies. We're going to take out targets in Iran, the terrorist targets. Uh, we don't have to necessarily do that now because we don't want to broaden the conflict as Israel goes into Gaza. But over the long term, we have to have a strategy that acknowledges that the source of all of this is Iran and to a lesser degree, Syria. But Syria is connected to Iran also. Let's talk about Israel. I, by the way, I agree with what you said. I think we do need to eventually target Iran with with very, very uh, strategic strikes. I'm not talking about a ground invasion or anything of that nature, but absolutely they need to be uh, reminded uh, of, of, of what we can do uh, in defense and in support of our allies, because our allies like Israel are in support of us as well. But, Ryan, let's talk about Israel going into Gaza. Um, Secretary of State Blinken tweeted and then deleted a statement saying that he has encouraged Turkey's advocacy, uh, in other words, partnering with Turkey and others in the region, to call for a ceasefire and a release of all hostages held by Hamas immediately. Now, this tweet was sent out while the attack in Israel was still going on. And, in fact, there are still attacks in Israel going on. He's saying ceasefire. Neither side should shoot at the other. Eight, no, I'm sorry, over a 1,000 Israelis dead, 3,000 or more injured, 
150 minimum taken hostage, and they're saying that Israel should say, hey, hey, you know, let's let's chill this out a little bit here. Nobody should shoot at one another. How are we supposed to? How are we supposed to hear that as Americans? I mean, it's a total joke. Um, it, it makes blanket. It turns blanket into a joke. It turns us into a joke. Um, luckily, that tweet was deleted, so I think they realized, oh, well, we stepped in it. Um, but just imagine after 9-11, say on September 12th, someone saying, oh, it, you know, it's time for a ceasefire. We don't want al-Qaeda to attack you, but we don't want you to attack al-Qaeda and the Taliban. It, it's just how do you even put that into words, how absurd that is? Yeah, and, and you know, the, the real, and I shouldn't say the real, but one of the other issues here is there are so there is so much concern for the potential collateral damage in Gaza of Palestinian women and children and citizens who are not part of Hamas. And I do get that. But, but can you, can you explain to people how Hamas doesn't care about their own women and children? That's why they launch their attacks on Israel from hospitals and from schools. And they hide in the general population of citizens, knowing that if Israel fires back, they don't care if their, their women and children get killed. Because all it does is make the international community blame Israel for their for their brutal attack on civilians. This is this is a part of their strategy, isn't it? Oh, it, it totally is, and it always has been. Um, you can see video of rockets being fired adjacent to or on top of civilian targets. Uh, look at how Hamas has treated people who have dared to even do a little bit of a protest or speak out against their regime. Uh, you can tell it's not a regime that cares about their own people. Um, and in fact, the political leadership that's in Qatar is living, living it up. Um, and, and that's also a target that's going to have to be dealt with is, is the political leadership in Qatar and the Hamas operatives are going back and forth, um, between Qatar and Turkey. Um, but yes, uh, Hamas's strategy is to cause as much civilian destruction as possible. Um, and also to engage in child abuse through indoctrinating their population to believe that what they're doing is right, uh, and that their children should be suicide bombers and, and die fighting the Israelis. Uh, so to them, in their twisted Nazi-like mentality, uh, there isn't such a thing as a civilian casualty on their side because it's a gift. You died as a martyr. Yeah, and then uh, and you turn the Israelis again into the into the uh, into yeah. the evildoers. That's uh, in the minds of of the international community. Ryan Morrow's our guest. He is the former director of the Clarion Intelligence Network. He's an adjunct professor as well, teaching homeland security and counterterrorism. I want to pivot to the homeland now, uh, Ryan. According to reports, um, border patrols arrest of suspects on the FBI's terror watch list at the southern border has. Ex- Exploded in the Biden regime years. We had two arrests of people on the terror watch list in 2017, six in 2018, zero in 2019, three in 2020, 15 in 2021, Biden's first year in office, 98 last year, Biden's second year in office, and 151 so far. And there have also been 1.5 million known gotaways since the start of 2021. 1.5 million known gotaways. So, Ryan, what what should our uh, you know what alert level should we be at here in the United States, knowing that there are terrorists among us and they're being allowed to pour in over our a completely non-existent southern border? Oh, given recent events, I would say very high alert. Uh, in fact, I think it's inconceivable. 
that there aren't terror suspects right now and, and people newly radical, radicalized, uh, looking at synagogues, looking at Israeli targets, uh, looking at targets that are like American companies that do business in Israel, um, and considering how to carry out an attack because they, if you support Hamas, you believe that you have an obligation to do something on their behalf. Uh, luckily, our counterterrorism personnel are, are so good that we haven't had a major incident like that yet. But let's just, but wait to see what happens when Israel goes into Gaza and enough time has passed that someone plotting something actually has enough time to actualize that plot. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to see something not happening uh, on our soil, but uh, we, we've gotten lucky and been very blessed in the past, too, when we thought that. So... Last thing, Ryan, for now, and we certainly appreciate you coming on to lend your expertise to this conversation. 150 known, uh, and that's the last count, uh, known abductions uh, from Saturday's uh, attack. We don't know how many of them are American. We can presume that some are. Uh, We do know that 11 Americans were killed. When Islamic terrorists or Islamic regimes like Iran take American hostages. We have now changed the game. Um, it used to be that we would never negotiate and pay for the release of American hostages. We've changed that. Obama did it. Biden has done it. And now there may be Americans among the hostages being held by Hamas. That will completely change the game. I don't know what demands they will make outside of money or release of other international terrorists that might be being held in the United States, but how can we possibly secure the release of these Americans without doing what we've done, which is arm those who, or, I'm sorry, fund those who took them? <laughs> it, yeah, our, our policy is a mess this way with the double standards. Um, as for the hostage takings, I mean, I assume that we're going to have special forces or already have special forces in Israel uh, working with them on intelligence and trying to figure out uh, where the hostages are located and trying to figure out how to go get them. But uh, the chances, uh, unfortunately, are, are not in the hostages' favor of being rescued. And I think what Hamas is going to do is use those hostages to try to get the U.S. to pressure Israel. Say tell Israel to uh, agree to a ceasefire. Um, otherwise, we're going to kill the American hostages. And uh, like I said earlier, uh, I, I do think it's time for an American military response to an action like that. Um, an American military response meaning what? Airstrikes or yes, or... airstrikes to in Gaza against Hamas. The... They, they're taking Americans hostage, and <clears throat> they kill them. There's got to be a response. And the uh, Hamas has has threatened to not only execute the hostages, but to do so on live uh, video stream so the entire world can watch, which, of course, we saw with horror, to our horror, um, ISIS doing the same thing. They were burning people alive. They were doing, I mean, just doing the most horrific, grotesque things that you can imagine. And they put them all, you know, they beheaded people with, uh, with dull knives, uh, again, on video stream. Um, they're threatening to do this if we if we do support Israel. They're threatening to do this if Gaza is reduced to rubble, as Net- Netanyahu promised. They're saying if we don't capitulate, this is going to happen to the Americans. And again, I don't know what our response can be. Our response has to be continued support for Israel. We can't allow the enemy to control our actions uh, to that degree. Otherwise, they're they're going to keep doing it, and they get to control the battlefield. That they can carry out attacks as much as they want. 
and then all they have to do is just snatch an American, snatch uh, an Israeli hostage, uh, and then control our behavior. And, and that's just something that we can't go along with. Yeah, and, and and Ryan, you can speak to this because you are much more knowledgeable about Islamic terror groups than any of us ever could hope to be. Um, Hamas, not only did they commit these atrocities on Saturday and continuing really over the last 48 hours, too, in certain parts of Israel, um, they, they, they documented it all. They recorded it all, and they released the videos. They took cell phones from their victims and tapped out messages to the family members of those victims and sent them pictures and video of their loved ones dying. Um, I'm trying to point out the animalistic, the savagery, animalistic nature and the savagery of Hamas. Um, if they're willing to do those things, can we ever trust that they won't? I mean, I, I'm almost resigned to the fact that the hostages are going to die. Um, because this is who they are, and this is what these savages do, and so our response probably cannot be mitigated by our concern and our and our attempt to save people who are who are who are unsavable at this moment. Yes, it's hard to hear those words, but but they're true, um, and we have to remember that ideologically, Hamas views the U.S. and Israel as a single entity, uh, just like Iran says that America is the great Satan and Israel is the little Satan. Um, and they view ties between the U.S. and Israel, even in terms of commerce, in terms of technological transfers, not military stuff. Uh, they view that as supporting the Israeli offensive against Hamas. Um, so there's really no measure that we could do uh, to appease them, uh, yeah. in my opinion. I don't think anything would work. Even if you had a ceasefire on the part of the Israelis, they would say, oh, well, your police department still trained their security forces, your country's economy is still open to them, uh, and that has to stop. There will be no end to it. That is precisely what I'm afraid of. That's ex- And I'm sad to hear you confirm, but that's what my fear is, that there is no appeasing of these people. I mean, I, did you see any of the videos? Ben Shapiro on his Daily Wire show yesterday um, literally showed all of the videos. They showed... Uh, He showed them, and again, these are videos being taken by Hamas of their own savagery because they wanted to brag about it. They wanted to show everybody what they would do. They showed them beheading a man with a shovel, a spade, as he lay on the ground, alive, after being shot. I mean, we're talking about some barbarism where there's no reasoning with these people. There's no deal-making. There's no, hey, if you give the hostages, hostages back, we'll give you ABC. Those people are dead, and I and I hate to say that, too, but... But the confirmation you just provided shows we are not we're not in a situation where negotiation is possible. There's no talking that's going to get us out of this. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's clear to everyone with a sane brain right now uh, that the dismantlement of Hamas has to be the objective. Absolutely. Well, Ryan Morrow, you are again. I think uh, 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 the gold standard in this field of understanding international terrorism and understanding uh, particularly, particularly Islamic terrorism, and that's where we're dealing with. So, thank you for coming on and sharing with us as this situation plays out. I hope we can call on you as a resource and uh, and learn a little bit more. And I thank you so much for the time. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan Morrow, director of the Afghan Liberty Project, international affairs and security media analyst as well. He's uh, he's a great resource to have. So is Peter Kersenow, who will join us after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. 
or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, eight minutes after 10 o'clock, and hour number two is underway. Thanks for being with us. It's a Tuesday, the 10th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2023, otherwise known as Real Women's Day. Thank you, Riley Gaines, for that brilliant analysis. 1010 in Roman numerals, if you don't know, is XX, which, of course, is Real Women. So go, Riley Gaines. Thanks to Ryan Morrow, um, our international uh, Islamic terrorist expert. Um, We used to have Ryan on once a week. Uh, His schedule changed quite dramatically, so we can't have him all the time now, but he is there for us when we need analysis of uh, things going on that affect our allies in the Middle East, including and especially Israel, as well as the United States. Joining us now to break down as much of this as he possibly can is our good friend Peter Kirsenow. Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, in addition to being an attorney, an author, a columnist, a law professor, and the host of the Kirsenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning. Bob, how are you? Well, uh, it's good. I'm personally fine. Uh, my country, uh, not so much. I'm very, very concerned about this. Pete, there are so many different uh, angles to this and layers to the onion here, but I'm just going to start with the, the President of the United States, because this blows me away. I started the show this way. Yesterday, um, 48 hours after the worst attack on Jews um, since the Holocaust, and while the attacks were still going going on, as people were being killed and people were being abducted. Yesterday, Joe Biden's White House called a pre-noon lid for the day. He was done. We're not going to do anything else. We're going to say anything else. We're not going to be seen anymore. He's done for the day before noon. While Americans, 11 of them confirmed killed, and we don't know how many among the hundreds that have been abducted and taken hostage. Meanwhile, last night, they had themselves a party. They had a barbecue on the lawn out by the Rose Garden from which a band could be heard heard blaring away deep into the night. They were having a party as Americans were held hostage, being killed. And, of course, as I mentioned, uh, over a 1,000 that we know um, Israelis killed in that event. How does this regime even look the American people in the face when that is their response to the worst attack again on Jews since the Holocaust? Yeah, he was literally out to lunch during this horrific attack. And make no, no mistake, yes, this is Israel right now, and that in and of itself should be alarming. But um, Israel's the little Satan. We have to keep that in mind. They're the little Satan. We're the great Satan. They're coming after us, too. And in fact, because Biden has allowed 7 million people to come across the southern border unimpeded, and we know this much, last year alone, they apprehended in the first nine months 78 people on the terror watch list coming across that border. Uh, hey, Pete, before it you is. continue, can I can I interrupt you with the correct numbers? Um, Bill Malugin reported this the, uh, yesterday yesterday in the evening. Here is the the actual number of arrests of suspects on the FBI's terror watch list by year, fiscal year seventeen two. In two, 2018, 6, 0, 3, 15, I've got the data. I was going to. I was going to say I've got ninety eight from last year, and then <laughs> and, and, and and do you have this year's? So no, far, I don't. Not yet. No. This is this is where Malusian. This is the reason I wanted to give this one to you because I want people to understand 
2603 from 17 through 20. You're exactly right now. First year of Biden, 15. Second year of Biden, 98. And fiscal year 23, 151, Peter. 151 known that they have arrested. And now take your point about the gotaways. Yeah, and that's just it. It's the gotaways. Those are the ones, remember, that most of the people coming across the border because of Biden policies will simply turn themselves in knowing that they're going to be released. They've got no real incentive to be escaping from people. The best thing for them to do is to turn themselves into Border Patrol. Everybody gets that because the message got out to the world. Mm -hmm. The people who try to get away, of course, are the terrorists. So the fact that we apprehended 98 last year tells you probably quadruple that number got away, maybe more. We have right. no idea. But but regardless, what we're looking at here is, first, I don't want to detract from what happened in Israel, the horrific thing that happened in Israel, but my point is they're coming after Israel and they're coming after us. And the fact that we had a massive intelligence failure, something that I wouldn't expect from the Israelis, um, but we also had a massive intelligence failure. Nobody saw something this of this magnitude coming. This thing was so huge, and no one saw it coming. That tells us uh, several things. One of the more troubling things we have to ask is, has the Biden focus on their domestic enemies? Remember, they've turned loose the, um, they've weaponized FBI, CIA, NSA, almost everybody's been weaponized against the biggest threat, according to Biden and, um, uh, you know, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, are domestic terrorists, white supremacists. That's what they claim is the biggest threat to the United States of America. By the way, Bob, I am on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, as you know. Mm -hmm. I've been on that commission for two decades. I have asked a million times in hearings, in inquiries, um, you know, information requests to various administrations, show us the data, because the data I see don't don't show that. I'm, I mean, I'm baffled by this, and no one will present it to me. No one. They, they simply they simply make these blanket assertions, but somebody has to point to how it is that this threat is so large. I'm not discounting the fact that, yeah, they're probably, look, there are terrorists of every stripe all over the place. But when they say this is the biggest threat, it first tells me that they're not serious and they're taking the ball, their eye off the ball, the real threats. Number two is... When the President of the United States and the Attorney General and people like Mark Milley and others are saying that the biggest problem is MAGA supporters, then you know we have an unserious intelligence establishment, and that pretends real danger for the United States going forward, given the current threat environment and given the numbers that we've just been talking about, because I guarantee you that 98 it's some magnitude above that. And what do you think? They came here because they want to work at McDonald's? No. Yeah. They're coming here to do damage to the United States of America. And our FBI is out there actually, you know, trying to come up with fake terrorists. They created those fake terrorists in Michigan who supposedly were going to kidnap uh, Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, this is extraordinary what's happening here. It is unserious. And again, we have a president who was literally out to lunch when this happened. Yep. But the callousness is extraordinary, especially given the fact well, that the United States of America, to the tune of tens of billions of dollars, money is fungible. That money went to Iran, the principal sponsor of terrorism, the principal sponsor for Hamas. That money went to them. We know exactly. that Hamas was intimately involved in the creation, the planning, the execution of this, this atrocity. And American money was used to do all of that stuff. This administration is complicit in this, and especially when we just had revealed within the last week and a half 
that there is a spy ring within the top levels of the Biden administration assisting Iran. In fact, you know, there's all this. Okay, Let, let's <laughs> let's slow down on some of this because we, we, we hit like 19 different things in that in that opening opening salvo. Uh, and I want to I want to focus on some of them specifically, Peter, particularly you mentioned the FBI. And um, whether or not the FBI is watching actual terrorists uh, and whether or not they're doing it as as well as they should compared to what they have been weaponized against, which is, you know, white supremacists, white nationalists and, of course, climate, I suppose. But 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 here's the thing, Peter. Yesterday and on Sunday and even on Saturday, while all of this was going on, there were Palestinians and supporters of Palestinians all over the country holding parades, celebrating, flying flags, Palestinian flags, celebrating the murder, the rape, the abduction of, 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 of Jewish men, women, and children inside of Israel. What I want to know is, do you think the FBI is watching those people who celebrate as closely as they watch a conservative mom at a school board meeting? They are targeting, you know, conservative parents or people who are worried about their kids and these kinds of things. Um, and I wonder, wouldn't that be a place to have, you know, the FBI infiltrate? Instead of infiltrating a crowd of patriots on January 6th and then maybe even encouraging them to break the law so they can be cracked down upon, shouldn't the FBI be infiltrating or at the very least watching these these celebrations of this attack on Israel. That's where your terrorists are coming from, right? I think I think you make a very good point, Bob. And among other things, Congress needs to exercise oversight authority over the FBI and every intelligence organization. They are so out of control. They are so focused on so-called domestic terrorists, which should be read as conservatives law-abiding individuals, people who go to church, people who pray outside of abortion clinics. Those are the people who are the major threats, not the ones who claim death to America and are doing everything they can to implement that threat. It is an amazing era. Victor Davis Hanson, my favorite author on these types of matters, has written about this extensively. We are in precipitous decline in a number of aspects of our country, precipitous decline. You know, you could just talk about, you know, our law enforcement, our educational staff, whatever you want to talk about. And when law enforcement, I'm not talking about beat cops. I'm talking about those folks at the highest levels of the FBI, the whole apparatus within the attorney general's office. Those folks are operating as if they are political actors only and don't care about, you know, the, the um, enforcing the law to protect the United States and its citizens. But, you know, I'm getting a little far afield here. What happened this weekend in Israel, as horrific as it is, I'm afraid that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have provided Iran with tens of billions of dollars. The last tranche was six billion that we unfrozen. They're getting te- we we one point seven billion from Obama in cash on those pallets and the cargo pallets. planes. And we never got an explanation for what that was all about. Never. Never. No, and that's just in the last two presidential uh, Democrat presidential administrations. That's a total of seven point seven billion dollars given to or given access to Iran to be used however they want. And as you say, the money is fungible. And how dare Tony Blinken 
the, the, the Secretary of State gaslight the American people on the Sunday talk show saying not one dollar from that six billion dollars, which was just unfrozen, that sits in a, in a bank and in an account in Qatar, has been accessed for this. So for anybody to say, for these GOP presidential candidates and politicians to say that that money was used to fund Hamas to attack Israel is just completely false. Talk about gaslighting, Peter, as if we don't know how money moves. Yeah, they really do think we're that dumb. And, but they know this. They've been allowed to get away with mammoth lies because the media covers for them. The media simply repeats them. I think the American people, the majority of American people, caught on to it quite some time ago. That doesn't mean it's any less infuriating. And it's such, and especially after we saw the horrific images coming out of Israel, there are real world consequences to this type of incompetency, duplicity, and, and, and sheer mendacity and evil. Uh, th- this administration has a lot to answer well, but, for, but unfortunately, we don't have anybody to talk to because Biden's asleep, apparently, or he's, who knows where he is. Yeah, the guy and, is and, and never, if, not, not to be found. Go ahead, Bob. If Israel responds, you said there's real-world world consequences. The consequences have to be in Gaza, and they have to be on Hamas, and Israel is going to do that. The United States should support that, but this is the X factor here. Um, there are women and children and and innocent civilians living some two million people live on the gaza strip uh inside that 25 square mile strip uh and 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 they are going to be killed in the response from israel and what we are being told is if the israelis respond by as netanyahu said reducing gaza to rubble on their hands on the israeli hands will be the blood of those innocents and and I, I mean, and that's why I think you're hearing silence from uh, from Biden, and why you're hearing calls for ceasefires from the Secretary of State. He, you know, he deleted the tweet, but he originally said ceasefire. Others are saying the same thing: don't fight back, don't fire back, because you're going to kill women and children, just like your women and children got killed. And until the rest of the world recognizes, and in particular our media, that if there are dead Palestinians, if there are starved Palestinians, as they cut off food and electricity to Gaza as they promised if those things happen to Palestinians then that Palestinian blood is not on Israeli hands it is also on Hamas hands just as the Israeli blood is yeah and the double standards here are howling we've seen them for a long time they've never been more stark than they are right now what's more troubling though is that we have an entire administration now complicit with the double standard trying to gaslight us with respect to the double standard they have fueled this not just with their policies, with tens of billions of dollars of our money, unfrozen um, oil revenue. It, and what's it just lunacy or lunatic about this is we are funding directly and indirectly every side to almost every conflict in this, in this world. When you think about the fact that we gave um, all that money to Iran, you know, I know it's you know it's it's supposedly dedicated to a particular use, which is a bunch of bull. I'm sorry, I, you know, I, you're going to have to get the uh, bleeper button because I may go off off a little bit here. I'm with you, but <clears throat> but nonetheless, tens of billions in unfrozen oil revenue. Uh, this administration has funded Iran, the world's principal sponsor of terrorism. Iran gives Hamas 700 million minimum per year. But Iran also gives Russia the drones that they use in Ukraine. So think about the lunacy of this. We are supporting Ukraine and funding Ukraine to the tune of $100 billion. At the same time, we are funding Iran, which is funding the opposition to Ukraine. This is nuts.
This is craziness. And Tony Blinken, Blinken, Winken, and Nod, that guy is maybe, and this is saying something, because we've had some real doozies, the most incompetent Secretary of State, the most naive Secretary of State in history, which is par for the course, because we also have those adjectives that apply to the Commander-in-Chief. Yeah. This, it, it is as horrific as it is for Israel, and I'm not going to downplay that at all. I'm stunned by the intelligence failures, as I've said. But as horrific as that is, the real problem is right now my concern is there's no reason not to think that they have more than sufficient assets staged here in the United States right now, but because our FBI and others are focused on MAGA folks and others, they're going to work with impunity. This let me is... let me bring another element to that because I'm glad you brought it back home. Homeland security matters here, and what 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 was done in Israel can absolutely happen here, especially if they have assets in place, which we know that they do. Here's another element to that: How do we defend ourselves? Um, Israel is a strict gun control state. Israel did not allow civilians, while every uh, um, uh, Israeli citizen must have, you know, serve two two years. It's compulsory in the in the uh, in in the Israeli military because that's what they have to do to defend themselves when enemies are all around them on every side. Uh, but the civilians there are not allowed to arm themselves. And when the Israel or the uh, Hamas uh, uh, terrorists came in and and took all of these people and killed all of these people, they had no way to defend themselves, which led to this announcement yesterday. Um, that Israel has loosened its very strict gun control laws to, quote, arm as many citizens as possible. I bring that up to talk about here, Peter. You know, the left mm-hmm. is continually trying to expand gun control and disarm American citizens. If this is not instructive to them as to why the people, they always ask, why do you need so many Biden? Why do you need to have so many rounds? I mean, are you that bad of a shot? You can't kill it. Is the deer wearing Kevlar? All of this crap about why we don't need to be armed. If this invasion of our ally uh, Israel is not instructive as to why the people need to be able to defend themselves against what threats they know or do not know, then I don't think there's any hope for them ever. Yeah, um, that is one of the features of the United States that I'm sure that Hamas or any other terrorist organization is clearly thinking about when they plan their domestic operations here in the United States. And there's no doubt whatsoever that they're doing it right now. We've got to be vigilant. All of us have got to be vigilant. Everybody I know is armed. Uh, of course, I hang out mainly with conservatives, so. But, but the fact of the matter is that all of us are Americans who need to defend ourselves. And remember, right after 9-11, we were vigilant for a half a second. And the catchword was, if you see something, say something. It's more imperative right now because we now see that we've got state sponsors. By the way, uh, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but China is watching this. Russia is watching this. North Korea is watching this. China especially, they see, see how save that tangent. we are. Save that tangent, because you're right, you are, and it's important, though. The direction you're going right now, Peter Kersenow, is important, and I want to give it more time. So let's take our time out here. And by the way, after 9-11, you say it was just for a minute that we were vigilant. I don't even know if we were vigilant in the minutes after 9-11, and I'll explain <laughs> what I mean by that, too, Pete, when we come back. So we'll take a time out here for the bottom of the hour. Pete will take us down that China uh, rabbit hole, and we'll talk about uh, what we can do and what we did do after 9-11 that may have led us to where we are right now. Right now, all of that coming up. Stay. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right. We're going to try 
to have some semblance of order here as we discuss all of these things with Peter Kersenow, because there are so many we can just chase a lot of different uh, things in a lot of different directions. Peter, uh, you started to go down the China Trail, and we'll do that in a second, but um, during the break, I noticed a tweet of a picture outside of um, Representative uh, Sharia Tlaib, I mean Rashida Tlaib's office uh, at, at in Congress. Outside of her office, she is flying a Palestinian flag, indicating her support for Palestinians who just committed this horrific, horrific atrocity against um, over a thousand, well, thousands, considering the dead and the injured um, Jews in Israel. She is also flying next to the Palestinian flag, an LGBTQ pride flag, and I'm wondering We're if anybody. About cognitive dissonance. I'm wondering if anybody is going to tell her what happens to LGBTQ people in the Middle East in places where, for example, the Palestinian flag flies high. Yeah, you think the about good news how, about, yeah, I'm sorry about, no, I was just going to say, you think about how little yeah. she knows about what she is supporting there, those two, those two things, uh, and just the astonishing display and the lack of concern for the Israeli people who were attacked by the people who fly the flag she has outside of her office. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, the cognitive dissonance is something, the stupidity is something, the the sheer evil, it's evil. When you saw those photos, those videos of what was happening in Israel, and you, they, <clears throat> they couldn't even denounce what had happened. And our media does not take them to task, of course, gives them a pass. And we must remember who these people are, because they're doing incalculable damage, not just to the United States of America and to Israel, but the entire world order. When you have elected representatives like this countenancing this scale of depravity and evil, and it's not that they are you know, supporting the Palestinian people, because when you juxtapose temporally, that is, at this particular time, at this particular moment in time, Palestinian rights, you claim that, this, that you support Palestine in the way she did, and not denouncing what is going on, then you're simply, what you're, you can't say anything other than you support these kinds of atrocities. That goes for Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Tlaib, uh, our friend who can't distinguish a fire extinguisher or a fire alarm from a, a, a door handle, Bowman, Cory Bush. And uh, I think there's one more who's joined the squad now. Well, there's one in Ohio, too, Peter. Not not in Congress, but in the Ohio State House, in the General Assembly, a state representative who supports the Palestinian terrorists who killed, tortured, raped, and kidnapped Jewish men, women, and children. Uh, I did not know about her until uh, until last night when someone made me aware of this. Let me pull up her name, not that I care to give her any publicity, but I want her to be known. Representative Munira Yassin Abdullahi, if I'm saying it correctly, tweeted, my heart hurts for all the innocent lives lost and the violence and the occupation. So clearly she's blaming Israel for the occupation of what they, what, what she believes to be Palestinian territory. And then issued an eight paragraph statement headlined. I won't read you the statement. I'll just read you the headline. Standing in solidarity with Palestinians. Not with the, with the Jews, not with the Israelis, and not one word of condemnation in eight paragraphs of Hamas, which, of course, is a Palestinian terror group. So this is in Ohio, not just in the halls of our Congress in D.C. Now, it, there needs to be a call 
by Democratic leadership, the Chuck Schumers of the world, um, and everybody else who is in a leadership position in Congress among Democrats, to have these people renounce those kinds of statements, this is, it, it's simply unacceptable, and that's putting it mildly. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine seeing those horrific images, innocent people being slaughtered, uh, babies being slaughtered. I saw one photo, I don't know why this affected me so much, but it shows the level of depravity. I saw a video of a dog being shot several times. They were shooting everything, everything and everybody. It was indiscriminate. They didn't care. Ben Shapiro played some of the videos that Hamas took. You know, that's the most amazing. These aren't like media or, or, you know, coverage. uh, This is Hamas actually taking videos of their atrocities so they could put them out online because they are bragging about it. They're proud of it. They believe this is something that will inspire more anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic actions from their supporters, Palestinian supporters around the world. So they put in one of the videos that they showed Pete, and I saw the dog one too. This is really Ben Shapiro I'm talking about who who wanted everybody to see these things. They showed a, a still alive man who had been shot in his home being beheaded by a spade, a shovel. Uh, and he showed the entire thing. Then there was a little five, it couldn't be a, more, more than a five-year-old Jewish child whose parents had been murdered, who was taken and then given to a bunch of Palestinian children who proceeded to beat him and torture him and spit on him as he as he just stood there and then lay there defenseless. So we're talking about the most horrific things you can imagine, and we can't get one word of condemnation from Omar, from the, the squad members, the individual in the state house that I just talked about. And you're right, the fact that they won't even condemn that at the uh, from the leadership positions in these legislative bodies. If you go to almost every Ivy League school... <clears throat> Almost every student group that I'm aware of has not denounced what what transpired in in, uh, Israel. They simply voiced their support for the Palestinian people. Now, it's one thing to voice support for Palestinian people, but when you juxtapose it with the most horrific terrorist attack in recent times, the most horrific in Israel... And then you come out and say that the only conclusion that a rational person can draw is that you are in favor of the atrocities that you just saw, that you thought that this was a legitimate means by which to air your grievances, if you will. The, the evil that we are countenancing is breathtaking. And that's combined with our, an incompetent and mendacious, mendacious administration. You have Tony Blinken. You've got... Robert Malley, by the way, we didn't talk about the fact that we are on the cusp of a spy ring, an Iranian spy ring being uncovered and prosecuted at the highest levels of the Biden administration. Some of these folks were involved in the Iran nuclear negotiations. It's extraordinary what's going on here, but MAGA is the big threat. MAGA is the big threat. No. We have folks within our administration that is assisting the world's greatest sponsor of terror. Funneling funds is the allegation. That is why they are under arrest. Truly extraordinary what's going on here. And our media is more focused on Donald Trump's traffic tickets. Yeah, well, you're right. Um, Just since you brought up the Ivy Leagues, um, the, the letter co-signed and and authored by 31 different student organizations at Harvard 
entitled Joint Statement by Harvard-Palestine Solidarity Groups on the Situation in Palestine. They literally don't recognize Israel as a state. They are calling it all Palestine. And in this, they didn't just express support for the Palestinian people, which you said is, is one thing. They literally condemned Israel and blamed Israel for the attack that happened. The Israeli government has forced Palestinians to live in open-air prison for over two decades, they wrote. We, the undersigned student organizations at Harvard, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame, they say. Pete, this is Harvard. These are the future leaders. These are the people mm-hmm. that, that are going to be running the country or running corporate America or running, you know, legal, you know, the criminal justice system and the legal, uh, uh, profession in America. These are the individuals and this is how they're, this is how they're being churned out of these universities. Right. And that mentality has permeated the upper echelons of virtually every professional organization you can imagine. It's been going on now for 20, 30 years or more. That's what's going on in the Ivy League, the so-called elite institutions. Look, my own alma mater, I, I won't go into any detail. I belong to a group that fights against this stuff at my alma mater, and it's a pretty good group, I'll tell you. But nonetheless, every Ivy League institution is so far gone. But beyond, I mean, not only do they not teach anymore. I mean, we've got people coming out of there that are complete incompetence and morons, but they are ideologically poisonous. If your kid is going to an Ivy League institution, boy, you better monitor him closely because what comes out is going to not just disappoint you, it could horrify you. Um, Every institution in this country has been corrupted by the left, but I don't want to go down that path except to say that corruption has a price. It will be visited upon America at some point. The only good thing is we've got a lot of good patriots who are vigilant against this kind of destruction, but we've got people at the upper echelons right now, like we, I just talked about the corruption and the, the treason, frankly, that is being investigated right now at the upper echelons of the Biden administration related to this Iran deal. It's extraordinary what's going on. I, if I could not write a novel about this because no one would believe it. No, It's just too implausible, but it's actually happening. But I want to circle back to the first thing I said. Seven million, million people came across the border. We don't know who they are or where they went, except that the Biden administration facilitated their movement throughout the United States. And my goodness, those were some Chinese, there were North Koreans, there were Iranians, they're all host of individuals. A lot of them are bad actors without question. Scores of them, at bare minimum, are terrorists. There's no question about that. None whatsoever. And our FBI is more focused on people praying out in front of an abortion clinic. That's the real threat, guys. And let's not sleep on that number again. You you talked about the 98 last year, 151 so far in fiscal year 2023. Those are uh, terrorists that uh, on the terror watch list that have been arrested at the border. Uh, And as you say, we don't know how many of them got through. Probably three, four, five times that amount. There's no question about it. Pete, let's... um, Go back to 9-11, because you mentioned, you said there was a brief period of time in which we were diligent right after diligent right after 9-11 about protecting the homeland. Uh, Daniel Horowitz uh, wrote this for Conservative Review yesterday. The first paragraph of his article is very important. After 9-11, our government had a brilliant idea. 
As the mass migration from Islamic countries grew, coinciding with the rise of high-tech jihad, we responded to the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon by doubling and then tripling our intake from the most dangerous countries. Millions of Middle Eastern immigrants later, how many cells do we have in this country of people who share the demonic sentiments of those who murdered and raped hundreds of Israelis over the weekend in the Hamas invasion from Gaza? We know that they these people are phenomenal at playing the long game. They don't have to come in here and immediately start bombing or, or carrying out terror attacks. They establish themselves. They wait for more uh, reinforcements to arrive. They form their little sleeper cells, and they sit and they wait until they are given the green light. How many of them are here? Aside just from the the Biden border crossers you just talked about on the terror watch list and so forth, but how many have been coming here even in that period of time after 9-11 when we decided we were going to bring in two, three times as many as we ever had from those countries? Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. And this is a failure, not just of the Biden administration. I would say the only administration that displayed any sense of seriousness was the Trump administration. The Bush administration didn't. Oh, for a short period, right after 9-11. But I remember being in the halls of Congress, almost literally yelling and screaming about the lack of attention on this. This is the, Bob, we are going to implode at some point, and it's our own fault because of lack of vigilance. But I want to go back to the horrific uh, situation in Israel. You know, I don't care what anybody thinks about Israel from a political perspective. You know, some people hate Netanyahu. Some people love Netanyahu. Israel is, in fact, our closest ally in the Middle East, and they stand alone. Everybody's against them. And here they are. They are subject to this kind of attack, and we have elected representatives in the United States of America who take the side of their enemy, and not just their enemy, We're talking about people who are the essence of evil. I'm not talking about Palestinians. I'm talking about these guys from Hamas and Hezbollah. I'm talking about those terrorists. And yet they can't distinguish, meaning the left. They can't distinguish between good and evil. It's a real problem they've got here in the United States also. They promote evil as if it is a good and you know all the different areas in which they do so. But the fact, if, if I think one of the things that Congress needs to do, the Democratic leadership in Congress needs to call their members to account and actually ask them where they stand on these things. But, but most importantly, the first order of business is Congress has got to make sure, through oversight, that our intelligence organizations are doing what they're supposed to do. It's up to Congress because we don't have a commander-in-chief. Republicans it's up to Republicans because Democrats are asleep at the switch and they're more likely to say, well, you know, we support the Palestinians. Everybody supports Palestinians. Everybody supports human beings, period. But you better be clear-eyed about the fact that in Palestine right now, you've got some of the most evil people in the world and they seek to destroy not just Israel, but the United States of America. So discharge your principal function of protecting the United States of America and be ruthless in that regard. I mean, intellectually ruthless. And you should be awake every single minute of the day. You better be competent. You better be mean. You better be forceful. And you better be clear-eyed. If you're not those things, we don't need you. Get the heck out of Congress. And to the Republicans out there who think they're on the right side, who probably are, 
you better get vigorous. You better not be sleeping one minute. And you better get your act together also so you can act in a responsible fashion because we don't have an administration that's covering our back. It's up to Republicans in Congress, and it's up to every single one of us too, Bob. We have to be vigilant just like we were after 9-11 because something like what happened over the weekend in Israel is going to happen here. I hate to say that, but it's going to happen here. That's unequivocal. They can't stop it because they've been so lax for the last 20 years and it's principally for the last couple of years. They've been fomenting and promoting this stuff. So everybody out there has got to be on their, um, they've got to be on pins and needles right now, frankly, but they've got to be very vigilant. Every single one of us has to be and hold your representatives to account. Right. Yeah. And uh, by the way, you say vigilant. I think I said diligent. They kind of mean the same thing. And you're right about them. Uh, we have to be. Peter, I want to go back to where we were before the bottom of the hour, because you started to chase us down the China rabbit hole and you said China is watching. Um, I want to I want to let you go go a little deeper into that now. Yeah, uh, a couple things. Uh, there's so much we could talk about here. One of them is just, I'll just throw this out, we could talk about it at a later time. Okay. We have got a significant number of military-age males from China, from China, the mainland of China, who've crossed the border. Why? Why? Why did they do that? And how did they get here? For what purpose? <laughs> Number two is, China has been watching all of this, and you better believe Xi is taking notes because he wants to, at the most propitious time for his regime, invade Taiwan. Who knows when that will be? It could be tomorrow, for all we know, but that's his intent. They've been very explicit about this, and they know they've got a very narrow window. No better time to do so than when we are distracted, and no better time to do so after he's gathered information in terms of our response and how this actually happened under Biden's watch. He has to be, I bet you, the Chinese are probably just astonished at our intelligence failure here. They can't believe it. This is something that should have been caught by our intelligence folks, something this massive. And it's really astonishing that the Israelis, who are more diligent than any other country in the world, because their very existence depends on the littlest scrap of information, how they missed it. Well, they missed it in part because I think all of the money being sent to Iran, by Iran to Hamas, the coordination between Iran, look, let's face it, Iran, they may be an evil regime, but they've got superb intelligence sources and fairly good special forces, um, our intelligence services and special forces services. They have been working with, the Palestine, with Hamas and Hezbollah, giving them direction, giving them supplies, and we're the ones who've been financing it. This entire time, that money, that money is going directly to Hamas and Hezbollah. Extraordinary. But the fact that they were able to do this without anybody finding out is troubling for all of us. And I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that something similar is not just being planned, but they're probably in the midst of trying to make the working parts move right now. And what better time than to do that right now? The same, same is true of China. They're watching this, and there's no better time than right now. We know that Russia decided no better time to invade Ukraine than right now after they watched Afghanistan. And by the way, many of the weapons used by Hamas in that horrific attack over the weekend came from that ridiculous weapons dump in Afghanistan when we skedaddled out of that because our brilliant president decided we had to get out of Afghanistan and we left behind anywhere from 40 to 80 billion dollars in weaponry. Yeah, that's um, that's extremely important too. Um, Pete, last thing then because of the time, the hostages, 
Um, we, we've seen, obviously, and we've discussed what happens when Democrats are in the White House. Our long-standing policy of never negotiating with terrorists and negotiate with those who take American hostages, um, you know, changes. Uh, Obama did it, uh, and Biden has done it, and now we don't know for a fact yet. We do know that there were 11 Americans who were killed. We don't know how many uh, were among the 150-plus that were taken hostage by Hamas. Um what do you expect to happen, uh, given the fact that we have paid out already before we knew this puts a target on every American head? Yeah. I, I can't imagine anybody, by the way, wanting to travel abroad right now. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to dampen the tourism industry and people want to go and, you know, see the Eiffel Tower and go visit Italy. I don't even know if I would go to Europe, much less anywhere close to the Middle East because I would be afraid of being grabbed because the word is out that the Americans will pay to get Americans back. Now, particularly in this case where they have, uh, uh, you know, shown a willingness to kill and execute everybody on the scene at, at all of these places where they attacked, um, you know, American lives could very well be among those 150 or so who have been captured. What do you think the American policy is going to be about this? Well, we know what the American policy has been under Biden so far, and that is just recently we had them pay nearly a billion dollars. They set the market a billion dollars per hostage. That hostage swap of just a couple of weeks ago. Right. Six billion for five hostages. Everybody wants the hostages home. Everybody wants that. But what you're doing is you're encouraging further types of uh, abductions such as this. And, you know, it is expected that among the hostages in um, uh, uh, the Gaza Strip right now, are Americans. We don't know that for sure, but they think there may be. And if that's the case, what do you think they're going to be holding out for? At bare minimum, a billion dollars per hostage. That's the price. The market was set by this ridiculous administration. And even if that's not the price, the fact they paid out that that type of money just recently means that those hostages are going to be held as long as possible until Hamas can extract a price that's suitable for them. We have seen debacle on top of debacle, idiocy on top of idiocy, and we're all supposed to accept this, and the media's trying to tell this is all normal because, my goodness, all the things that have gone wrong in the last three years are better, apparently, for the United States of America than having the bad orange man sitting in the White House. Afghanistan withdrawal, 7 million crossing the border, crime skyrocketing, highest inflation in 40 years, gas prices 60% higher than they were at the outset of the administration, housing that's unaffordable, 100,000 fentanyl deaths go on and on, $33 trillion in debt, and yet we're Spending like drunken sailors, weaponization of our justice system, corruption of every institution, the military recruits who can't even make do a push-up, the, the continued deterioration of the United States of America, well-documented, probably best by Victor Davis Hanson, has been expedited. It's almost intentional. I mean, it seems almost intentional on the part of the Biden administration. And these things have real-world consequences, one of which we saw over the weekend. And again, I will say it again. My fear is that we are on the cusp of this possibly happening in the United States of America because, let's face it, we are far less secure than Israel was in terms of their vigilance and ability to lock down their country. Far less secure, especially when we have 7 million people coming across the border. Exactly right, because uh, it's going to come from within, not from without, because they're already here. Uh, Peter Kersenow, uh terrific analysis, as always, my friend. Thank you. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, Bob. All right. 10.58. Get a timeout. We're going to come back after the top of the hour news. Talk to the Attorney General of the State of Ohio, Dave Yost. A little bit of a change up here, but stay here. It's going to be important on AM 1420, The Answer.
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, eight minutes after 11 o'clock, and hour number three is now underway on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us. Some very important conversations we have held thus, thus far this morning. If you missed them, we talked in depth with uh, Ryan Morrow, uh, our Middle East expert analyst uh, and national security and homeland security expert as well about the ongoing uh, atrocities in the Middle East and what the American and Israeli responses must be to Hamas and what has been done. So uh, if you missed that interview with Ryan Moore, you should check that out. Then we just completed a uh, terrific in-depth conversation about the same uh, with uh, Peter Kirstenau from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Both those interviews will be up and part of the broadcast, or the podcast, rather, at uh, whkradio.com, whkradio.com. And if you want to talk about that, we will begin taking your calls shortly on that uh, on that ongoing issue. But I do want to pivot now, and I want to uh, welcome back to our program uh, the Attorney General of the State of Ohio, Dave Yost, for some matters of uh, concern to Ohioans. I know his uh, focus is also, I think, all Americans, uh, certainly on what's going on uh, in Israel, but uh, we do have some other matters to tend to. So, Attorney General Dave Yost, thank you for joining us this morning here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? I'm well, Bob. Good to hear your voice. Good to talk to you as well. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, before we get into the issues that we, you know, we scheduled this conversation with you last week when some news uh, happened in Ohio that I wanted you to comment on, but obviously things changed on Saturday. If you wanted to uh, make any uh, statements or remarks about what you see happening in Israel right now and uh, the American response to that, I'll give you a leeway to do that. Uh, well, I appreciate it. I think, like all Americans, um kind of nervous about what's going on. This is an unprovoked war of aggression, uh, and the tactics being used by Hamas are uh, inhumane uh, against every notion of civilized behavior. Uh, and I, I stand with Israel, uh, certainly hopes and prayers, but uh, hopes, prayers, and ammunition. Uh, we, we need to continue to support our ally. Uh, I also... Uh, you know, pray for our country because I um, I'm concerned about how the world perceives us and our ability uh, to respond to our responsibilities. Uh, so uh, this is a time when all Americans need to unite. Um, we need to have a, a single uh, purpose in. Uh, making sure that 
the world does not devolve into chaos. Yeah, I, that's well said, and I, I support especially the, the part about uh, thoughts, prayers, and ammunition, uh, because that is what is needed here by these, uh, you know, for our allies in Israel who continue to face just, you know, rampant anti-Semitism and uh, uh, hatred from people in the surrounding states there in uh, in the Middle East. Uh, they are taking it from all sides. They have very little support other than from us, which is why our support must be unequivocal and uh, why it's so troubling when I am seeing too many people, including a representative here in the state of Ohio, expressing support for the Palestinians and expressing no um, uh, con- condemnation for what Hamas has just done. So... Um, hopefully there will be a unified uh, message coming from the United States in spite of those people rather than us being defined by those people as it pertains to that uh, that horrific event in uh, in Israel. So, yeah, Attorney former General... Prime Minister, ahead, for, former Prime Minister uh, of Israel, Golda Meir, said, if the Palestinians lay down their weapons, there will be peace. If Israel lays down its weapons, Israel will cease to exist. That is a profound statement. It is one that needs to be repeated now. I'm glad you just did. That is exactly correct. And, and you know, I don't want to chase this too far because we want to get back to Ohio issues, Attorney General Yost, but that's one thing that we saw because um, the Israelis, after the fact, said, you know, maybe we should have armed our citizens. Civilians are not allowed to be armed. You have to prove a need for for weaponry uh, in uh, in Israel, despite the compulsory military service in Israel of all citizens. Um, civilians are not allowed to be armed. And now, after the attack, they have taken the kind of, you know, little too little too late step of arming as many citizens as possible in case of another assault and another invasion from, you know, from these Hamas militants. It's important for them to be able to protect themselves. They did not have their arms. And as you just pointed out with that quote by Golda Meir, it, it, it led to, you know, some, some catastrophic results on Saturday. So... Um, again, that's a, that's neither here nor there as far as the United States goes, but it is a very uh, instructive, I think, moment for, for all of us. There's a reason why we have a Second Amendment here in the United States. We have to be able to protect ourselves against threats that we may not be able to identify at the moment. Uh, Attorney General Yust, I'm hearing some clicking. Are we, are we still connected? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I'm hearing clicking. It it sounds like one of those. Yeah, it sounds like one of those call drop situations. I wanted to make sure you were still there. So when we reached out to your office uh, last week, I wanted to bring you in on this issue about missing kids and missing uh, people uh, in in Cleveland, Ohio, in particular, in Northeast Ohio, not just from the entire state of Ohio, but this story just kind of struck a lot of us last week that more than a thousand children have been reported missing in and around Cleveland, Ohio, including fifty minors, just in the month of. September that went missing. Your office commented on it and talked about and verified the numbers and wanted to find out what you think needs to happen here because I can tell you being in Cleveland, we know the numbers in terms of police 424 officers under the budgeted amount. They don't have enough officers to go out searching for missing kids here. So what can you say about this from the uh, from the Attorney General's office? Well, of course, missing people, missing children are, by necessity, a local law enforcement uh, matter. Uh, I mean, if it's your eight-year-old daughter or son that goes missing, you don't want some bureaucrat, uh, even a good one, in Columbus uh, directing 
the, the search. That, that needs to be local. Uh, people that know the community, uh, that know the streets, know the people, uh, know the perps. Um, so I think there's a limited role for the attorney general to play. Now, we do provide resources, uh, and we've reached out to the local jurisdictions to make sure that, uh, you know, the access to specialized databases, the uh, intelligence analysts that we have, are they, that they know that those functions are available. Because, you know, candidly, a lot of smaller departments or even a large department, as you point out, like Cleveland, that's understaffed, um, maybe doesn't have those things. And that's why my office and BCI exist, is to help locals. Um, but uh, we're, we're doing what we can. And uh, I guess the other thing I would say is, uh, as alarming as those numbers are, and they're accurate to the best of what we have, mm-hmm. the data and the reporting system are not robust, to, to be kind about it. Well, you're right. And and the the comment that you made in the article that made us reach out to you, too, is very important because I believe it to be accurate. The, the majority, maybe even a significant majority of missing kids um, are not abductions. They're runaways. Uh, and sometimes it's the same kid running away multiple times. I don't know if they're, they that individual gets counted each time and why if it increases the numbers. But, but a lot of these are runaway situations. And yet still... The reason why it's so important for law enforcement, and I think even at the, the state level, is because of the massive increase in abductions because of human trafficking and sex trafficking of minors. Um, you know, those numbers are off the charts. We do have sex traffickers and human traffickers who are coming across our poorest southern border. They're coming into the interior of the United States, and they are proceeding to, you know, to grab kids for profit. So it, that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, at the state level and even at the interstate slash federal level, this is something that, you know, that, that needs to be on, on all of our radars. Well, I, I agree. Uh, I, I would caution to uh, not overstate um, the number of abductions, but abductions do happen, um, and human trafficking is a thing. Uh, and uh, you haven't even mentioned the, the gang situation. Uh, so uh, there are, are uh, while the vast majority of kids, ninety-six oh, percent uh, of them, are returned. Um, to their parents, um, some kids go missing voluntarily and just are never returned. And then there's uh, there's certainly abductions that do happen. So um, you know, one missing child is too many, and the society that doesn't protect its children uh, is destined for the dustbin of, of history. Very well said. We are talking with the Attorney General of the State of Ohio, uh, Dave Yost. So, Attorney General Yost, I want to I want to pivot to something from last week um, because this is very important. Early voting for the November seventh election is is tomorrow. Uh, hard to yep. believe, but it's upon us. People can cast their votes for or against issues one and two, among other things, tomorrow. And um, 
on Thursday, I think it was last week, you issued a couple of statements um, regarding the, the legal analysis of issues one and two. So I wanted to kind of maybe get a summary from you for our listeners who haven't read your statement about what you want voters to know about issue one. We'll start there, and then we'll, we'll uh, work our way to two. But what do you want voters to know from a legal standpoint from the AG's office about this issue before they go? Uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. The uh, issue one, of course, is what the proponents call the reproductive uh, health amendment and what the opponents call the abortion amendment. Uh, and our office did, uh, tried very hard to issue uh, an answer to the what question. What is it that we're being asked to decide? Of it. Uh, we did not try to weigh in on the why side because that's up to the voters. My bosses get to decide that, not me. Um, so th- this is a neutral legal analysis. Uh, like any lawyer, I'm trained to be able to ride, uh, argue uh, either side of a case. And uh, so th- that's what it is. At a top line, I guess the main thing I would want your listeners to know, uh, particularly those that are maybe a little bit conflicted about the question of abortion, is that this is not a reset button. There's some folks that are out there saying, well, this is just, you know, Dobbs was so much, it was so fast, this is just going to, you know, put, the, put, the, uh, put us back to where we were in the spring of 2022 before Dobbs was decided. That is not true. Uh, it, it, this is the most pervasive uh, and expansive uh, set of rights uh, protecting abortion that has ever existed in the state of Ohio. And as far as I can tell, uh, it, it may be the most uh, expansive in the entire country. This goes much further than Roe versus Wade. And I'm, I'm happy to dive into a few of the reasons why, if you would like. But the, the bottom line is no reset button here. Uh, this is a radical uh, new uh, legal regime that has never been a law in Ohio. Uh, you use the word expansive. I would probably use the word extreme. I think it's the most extreme law that we have seen in the state of Ohio, and I think it is the most extreme law law related to abortion or reproductive health, as they like to call it, in the country. Uh, it is that, and it and of course, you know. You correctly say they call it a reproductive rights, a reproductive health issue, and those who are opposed to it, like myself, we call it, um, you know, an abortion issue. But it's so much more than that because of the vague language. And I know you were trying to to really make sure people understand some of these things with your statement. They used vague language. They did not say women, which would indicate 18 and over adults who are pregnant. Um, they said individuals, no regard whatsoever for age, which means that teenage minor 
minors who become pregnant one way or another uh, have a right to do this without any parental sign-off whatsoever. And likewise, since the language talks about reproductive health decisions belonging solely to the individual of any age, reproductive health decisions come into play when sex changes are are preferred and the beginnings of those uh, drastic measures such as you know cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers, again, parents are cut out of this. So it's about much more than just abortion. Not that abortion needs anything else to be added to this, but there are added things because of the vague language they used uh, when they wrote this amendment. Yeah, and and just to go a a bit further on uh, the gender uh, issues, um, we found that the law is going to be a mess. This this ought to be called the the Plaintiff's Bar Full Employment Act, because uh, there will be lots of lawsuits uh, involved uh, over gender dysphoria and, and various kinds of uh, medical treatment. Some of them, uh, the state will be prohibited from uh, regulating, more than likely, because of the amendment, if it passes. Uh, other things, uh, I, I'm careful about making a sweeping generalization. I think there's probably a few things that the legislature could do that I will be able to defend as the attorney general. Uh, so I want to be careful. I don't, I don't just waive all of my arguments because, man, I'm going to be in court for years over this stuff if it passes. And, yeah. frankly, if it doesn't pass. <laughs> no, I understand, and, uh, and I'm glad you brought all of that stuff up. Briefly, because we're a little short on time here, I could go much more in-depth with you on the abortion issues uh, and the language in that amendment, but let's talk about Issue 2 for a second. Again, give us a brief summary of the legal analysis you want voters to know before they start voting as early as tomorrow, and then I have a follow-up. Ohio already allows medical marijuana, so to the extent that you want kids with epilepsy, people with pancreatic cancer, glaucoma, to be able to access marijuana, they already can. Uh, perfectly legal. Nobody is rotting in prison because they possessed a joint. You can keep up to 100 grams already under Ohio law, and it's a minor misdemeanor. You can't even be put in jail for it, uh, 100 grams being more than three ounces. Mm-hmm. So what this does is, it's Katie bar the door. It's marijuana for getting stoned, uh, for growing your own. Uh, I mean, it will just open the door to uh, a wide variety of uh, marijuana uses. And there are going to, it's a very long uh, statute that they're proposing. Um, and so it's probably beyond our, our time on the radio to be able to walk through all these. Yeah, stuff. no, and we don't have to. I do, my follow-up is going to be about a couple of the points in that statute that they're so, proposing. But briefly, just on the issue of the expanded use of, of uh, marijuana from medical to recreational, we've seen this in 20-some other states, and we have seen just astronomical increases, exponential maybe increases, in traffic accidents after they, uh, uh, after they legalized weed. Because, as we all know, there is much less... 
stigma about driving while stoned as there is driving while drunk because they can't test for it immediately without a blood test because, um, you know, as we know, marijuana stays in the system for up to 30, 30 to 40 days, and individuals feel like, uh, you know, they can smoke and drive and they're going to get away with it because they can say, no, I'm, I'm going to test positive because I, you know, I smoked last week and it's still in my system. These are things that are just irrefutable, the increase in accidents and, and uh, potential deadly accidents in the states that have legalized it. Well, the data and causation are uh, really tangled issues. Uh, but look, I, I am alarmed at the medical research that shows uh, potential links to psychosis with uh, regular use of the potent stuff that's out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Children's Hospital Coalition. Okay, I mean, these are not political people, and to the extent that they have opinions, uh, they, they don't skew toward uh, your view and mine of the world. The Children's Hospital Association has come out and opposed issue two uh, for health reasons. Uh, that, that ought to, in and of itself, give you serious pause as to whether we ought to let this particular genie out of the bottle. Agreed. Agreed on the on the health of the kids, and you're right. That in and of itself should be enough. But I'm going to stick with it, even though you're right. There are some sticky you know, uh, issues when it comes to causation uh, of the traffic incidents. Again, the, in the states that have legalized this, uh, it has become very, very dangerous to be on the roadways. And I did want to follow up with you. As you said, it's a very lengthy uh, statute that they're proposing here, this amendment. Bullet points four and five in the text uh, I want to ask you about, uh, or actually, correction, five and six. The Ohio uh, to enact Chapter three seven eight zero of the Ohio Revised Code would establish the cannabis social equity and jobs program and require the Department of <laughs> Development to certify program applicants based on social and economic disadvantage. And then point six, define social disadvantage to include membership in a racial or ethnic minority group, disability status, gender, or long term residence in an area of high unemployment. What in fresh you know what is this? Well, um, again, well, if this passes, I imagine there will be litigation. Uh, without predicting the outcome of the litigation, let me just point out that uh, racial preference programs are uh, suspect anywhere the government does them after students prefer admissions versus Harvard in the last term. Uh, beyond that, uh, one of the things you'll find is that if you were convicted of a marijuana offense, uh, you qualify as being disadvantaged, meaning uh, when if this passes, you get preferential treatment for a license if you're a former drug dealer. Uh, and uh, I, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, people will get to decide whether they think that's a good idea or a bad idea. Uh, but you, you can put me down as a no vote on this. I know we could. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it because this is saying it's one thing to say legalize weed or not legalize weed for recreational use. It's another thing to bring DEI into it and talk about uh, uh, disadvantage or oppressed racial or gender groups. It's uh, it's really bizarre. So, yeah, uh, I know you are strongly in opposition to issues one and two. I'm glad you issued the legal analysis that you did for if, if there are, and I doubt very many people are on the bubble on this, but if there are undecided voters who just don't know and they don't know what the legal ramifications of these uh, 
these uh, potential amendments would be. The Attorney General has provided that analysis for them. I'm glad you did it, and I'm glad you came on to share that with the people before they go to vote tomorrow. Attorney General Yost, thank you so much for the time. It was wonderful to talk to you. Don't forget to vote. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Good to talk to you as well. It's 1130. We'll get to the news now. We'll uh, open it up for calls to wrap it up. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a lot of ground that we covered today. A lot of ground. Um, And obviously it is still just the very beginning. Speaking specifically of the issue uh, regarding Israel, according to reports, the Israelis continue to pound targets in Gaza which, of course, is appropriate and necessary and should not stop until there is nothing left of Gaza, in my view. Uh, If there is collateral damage there, we will say that's tragic, but we will say that is not the result of uh, the uh, uh, responsibility or the fault of the Israelis. It's the response, I'm sorry, responsibility and result of Hamas, which struck Israel and then hid among the civilian populations in Gaza. That's what they do, and it will not work any longer. It must be destroyed. All right, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Rachel is in Cleveland. Uh, Rachel, thank you. For, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much. Um, every day you speak the truth, but today, uh, as a granddaughter of Holocaust survivors, as someone who used to live in Israel, um, as an advocate for Israel, and someone who has family who was called up uh, to the IDF. You have no idea how much it gives us strength to hear what you and your guests said um, about Israel. Everything that you said was true. Everyone that came on here was true, and it was just, uh, and it gave us a lot of strength in this very hard time. I just want to say two things. Um, one is for your listeners, or even for you who are confused because there's so many lies that go around when it comes to what truth is Israel an apartheid state. I can tell you I live there. It's a beautiful country. I hope everybody gets a chance to, to go there. Um, but there's a wonderful book by um, my mentor. His name is Mitch Bard. It's called Myths and Facts. He's extremely intelligent. He is not biased. We don't feel that any country in the world, just like any person in the world, is without wrong, but it definitely gives a very clear, unbiased view of the Arab-Israeli conflict. That's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing I wanted to say is I just want to encourage your listeners to reach out to their Jewish friends, to show support, to post on social media, um, just as I did when there were, and we still do, whenever we see a police officer, we always tell them, thank you for your service, or we... Um, see somebody who is a veteran or a current serving military, we say thank you for your service. Your Jewish friends are are worried, are scared. Um, we're all having a very hard time. Those of us that have family there, those of us that don't, we're all having a hard time. Um, and just reaching out and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you and I support you. And um, it really would mean the world to your Jewish friends. 
So I just I, want to say that. I think that's a great message, and I and I thank you for the call, Rachel. And uh, God, God be with you and all of your family and those who uh, you you have close to you in Israel. Um, and I'll say that personally to Rachel, but of course I mean that for all Israelis, whether people in uh, listening uh, to us right now have connections or ties there anywhere. She's right. If you are Jewish, I I heard. I, I I listened to a Ben Shapiro's show yesterday when I was done with my show, and I've never heard as much anger uh, as well as sadness and passion in his voice before. And he's a very passionate speaker. He's a very brilliant speaker. But speaking to the Jewish experience on the global stage, I'd never heard him as, as um, I don't know, emotional, I guess, about it. He was angry. He was emotional. He's sad all at the same time. And, how, and why not? How could he not be? The Jewish experience in the world, not just here in America, is um, is unique and something most of us, probably all of us who are not Jewish, can understand. But um, if you have any sense of empathy whatsoever, you, you feel for them right now. I don't know that there is any other ethnicity in the world that is as targeted for just their existence as the Jewish ethnicity. Um. There, there isn't anyone throughout history that has been targeted this way. So I agree with what uh, Rachel just said. If you see somebody or know somebody, particularly somebody who, who has family in Israel or close ties, but just who are Jewish, um, give, them a, give them a nod and, a, and, a, and, a, and an understanding smile or an understanding hug or exp- expression of, of support, and I'm sure it will mean a lot to them because they're feeling very targeted right now, and understandably so. Thank you, Rachel. Um, Samantha, next, in Cleveland. Hi, Samantha, go ahead. Um, Hi. Um, Wow, that was a really beautiful call that Rachel made. Um, Like her, I am also the granddaughter of four Holocaust survivors, and so I've been kind of like, um, your question yesterday on your show, Bob, was why the Jews? Why does it keep coming back to the Jews? And so that's something I've been, you know, trying to figure out my whole life, literally. And um, I have some answers to suggest. Okay. Um, I've been just from thinking about it and, and reading about it, and I've narrowed it down to three things. One is blame and scapegoating. Two is jealousy, and I don't mean money. Three is population size. So, you know, everyone, Sartre, I think, said that, you know, if the Jew didn't exist, the anti Semite would invent him. So everyone needs someone to blame for the, blame for the difficulties of life. And um, so, I don't know easy to blame the Jews and for this reason or that reason. And the funny thing about the reasons for blaming them is that some of them are grounded in absolutely nothing. No, it's funny, you know, you have a lie. Sometimes it's grounded in the truth. Sometimes it's not. And that's really stunning. Um, so they get blamed for everything, you know, on the right and on the left. You know, they're communists and they're fascists. You can blame them for anything. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't have to make any sense. Um, and then the second one, jealousy, it's not, it's not money. It's certainly not our great look. Um, but I think it's something about family values and education values, I would say. Um, and also perhaps that, you know, we are, we're just this presence that reminds the world that there is a God, which some people might come to resent. Stop reminding me there's a God. So anyway, so those are the first two. And the third one is population size. You know, if you wanted to like blame someone and take out all your, you know, anger on, someone who you blamed, they might as well be a very tiny population. That's easy. 
That's a very good point. It is. Um, and, and I think the first two are, particularly the first one, in my opinion, Samantha, just my response to your call, and I thank you for that call. Uh, God bless you, and have a great day. Um, I think there is something to the family. Well, and maybe that was part of the second one, the jealousy of their, of their, their sense of family, their sense of closeness, their sense of faith, their sense of values that a lot of people just don't like. They have priorities. They keep them in order. And, and the sad part, by the way, and I'm not just talking about Orthodox Jews or I'm not just talking about people who are very pious and very religious who go to a temple all of the time and they practice uh, everything because you don't have to be that just. 